Chapter 4 The Power Promised God does not ask us to do in our own strength the work before us. He has provided divine assistance for all the emergencies to which our human resources are unequal. He gives the Holy Spirit to help in every strait to strengthen our hope and assurance, to illuminate our minds and purify our hearts. Just before his crucifixion, the Savior said to his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. When he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. See John 14, verses 18 and 16, chapter 16, verse 13, and chapter 14, verse 26. Christ has made provision that his church shall be a transformed body, illumined with the light of heaven, possessing the glory of Emmanuel. It is his purpose that every Christian shall be surrounded with a spiritual atmosphere of light and peace. There is no limit to the usefulness of the one who, putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. What was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit upon the day of Pentecost? The glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the utmost bounds of the inhabited world. The hearts of the disciples were surcharged with a benevolence so full, so deep, so far reaching, that it impelled them to go to the ends of the earth, testifying, as it says in Galatians 6 14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As they proclaimed the truth as it is in Jesus, hearts yielded to the power of the message. The church beheld converts flocking to her from all directions. Backsliders were reconverted. Sinners united with Christians in seeking the pearl of great price. Those who had been the bitterest opponents of the gospel became its champions. The prophecy was fulfilled. The weak shall be as David, and the house of David as the angel of the Lord. Every Christian saw in his brother the divine similitude of love and benevolence. One interest prevailed. One subject of emulation swallowed up all others. The only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Acts 4 33. Under their labors, there were added to the church chosen men, who, receiving the word of life, consecrated their lives to the work of giving to others the hope that had filled their hearts with peace and joy. Hundreds proclaimed the message, The kingdom of God is at hand. They could not be restrained or intimidated by threatenings. The Lord spoke through them, and wherever they went, the sick were healed, and the poor had the gospel preached unto them. 
So mightily can God work when men give themselves up to the control of His Spirit. To us today, as verily as to the first disciples, the promise of the Spirit belongs. God will today endow men and women with power from above, as He endowed those who on the day of Pentecost heard the word of salvation. At this very hour, His Spirit and His grace are for all who need them and will take Him at His word. Notice that it was after the disciples had come into perfect unity, when they were no longer striving for the highest place, that the Spirit was poured out. They were of one accord. All differences had been put away. And the testimony born of them after the Spirit had been given is the same. Mark the word, Acts 4.32, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. The Spirit of Him who died that sinners might live animated the entire congregation of believers. The disciples did not ask for a blessing for themselves. They were weighted with the burden of souls. The gospel was to be carried to the ends of the earth, and they proclaimed the endowment of power that Christ had promised. Then it was that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and thousands were converted in a day. So it may be now. Let Christians put away all dissension and give themselves to God for the saving of the lost. Let them ask in faith for the promised blessing, and it will come. The outpouring of the Spirit in the days of the apostles was the former reign, and glorious was the result, but the latter reign will be more abundant. What is the promise to those living in these last days? Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope, even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. See Zechariah 9, 12, and chapter 10, verse 1. Christ declared that the divine influence of the Spirit was to be with His followers unto the end. But the promise is not appreciated as it should be, and therefore its fulfillment is not seen as it might be. The promise of the Spirit is a matter little thought of, and the result is only what might be expected. Spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension, and death. Minor matters occupy the attention, and the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the Church, and which would bring all other blessings in its train, is lacking, though offered in its infinite plentitude. It is the absence of the Spirit that makes the gospel ministry so powerless. Learning, talent, eloquence, every natural or acquired endowment may be possessed, but without the presence of the Spirit of God, no heart will be touched, no sinner won to Christ. On the other hand, if they are connected with Christ, if the gifts of the Spirit are theirs, the poorest and most ignorant of His disciples will have a power that will tell upon hearts. God makes them channels for the outflowing of the highest influence in the universe. 
Why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit, since this is the means by which we are to receive power? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, preach concerning it? The Lord is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to us than parents are to give good gifts to their children. For the baptism of the Spirit, every worker should be pleading with God. Companies should be gathered together to ask for special help, for heavenly wisdom, that they may know how to plan and execute wisely. Especially should men pray that God will baptize His missionaries with the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit with God's workers will give the presentation of the truth a power that not all the honor or glory of the world could give. The Spirit furnishes the strength that sustains striving, wrestling souls in every emergency, amidst the unfriendliness of relatives, the hatred of the world, and the realization of their own imperfections and mistakes. Zeal for God moved the disciples to bear witness to the truth with mighty power. Should not this zeal fire our hearts with a determination to tell the story of redeeming love, of Christ and Him crucified? Is not the Spirit of God to come today in answer to earnest, persevering prayer and fill men with power for service? Why, then, is the church so weak and spiritless? It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess His name bearing fruit to His glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. My brethren and sisters, plead for the Holy Spirit. God stands back of every promise He has made. With your Bibles in your hands, say, I have done as thou hast said. I present thy promise. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Christ declares, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See Matthew 7, 7, Mark eleven twenty four, and John fourteen thirteen. The rainbow about the throne is an assurance that God is true, that in Him is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We have sinned against Him and are undeserving of His favor, Yet he himself has put into our lips that most wonderful of pleas, Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. See Jeremiah fourteen twenty one. He has pledged himself to give heed to our cry when we come to him confessing our unworthiness and sin. The honor of his throne is staked for the fulfillment of his word to us. Christ dispatches His messengers to every part of His dominion to communicate His will to His servants. He walks in the midst of His churches. He desires to sanctify, elevate, and ennoble His followers. The influence of those who believe in Him will be in a world a savor of life unto life. 
Christ holds the stars in his right hand, and it is his purpose to let his light shine forth through them to the world. Thus he desires to prepare his people for higher service in the church above. He has given us a great work to do. Let us do it faithfully. Let us show forth in our lives what divine grace can do for humanity.